0: Good evening, great to see everybody. Uh, hey, before we get into God's word, I want to take a moment on this Veterans Day weekend to uh, honor those of you who have served in the military. If that's you, would you please stand? We'd love to recognize you and thank uh, the Lord for you. Yep. Thank you all very much. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate your service and uh, hope you feel honored uh, just throughout this whole weekend. So my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, I'm part of our preaching team, and yeah, it's my joy to open up God's word with you tonight as we're nearing the end of this series we've been in called "We Want a King." Uh, this summer, I had the chance to go out uh, on a friend's uh, well, it's not his boat, it's a boat he is able to use, which is actually the best kind of boat, you know, is one you're able to use. Because uh, they say for people who have a boat, the two best days in the life of a boat owner is the day you get the boat and the day you get rid of the boat. Um, and so I have this friend who has access to this boat. He can just go up to this marina and says, and you know, kind of make a reservation, and they show up with a boat, and then we use it, and then they clean it up. And anyway, so he took us out on this pontoon boat at Ro- Roosevelt Lake and uh, we were hauling the kids behind us in tubes and just having a nice day out there on the pontoon boat. And uh, at some point, we stopped and you know, got lunches and stuff out of the cooler, and we're just sitting there and, and just had found kind of an easy open space in the middle of the lake, and the pontoon boat's just resting there. And we're eating lunch, and we're talking, and we're laughing, and we're hanging out. And uh, next thing you know, it's like, uh, hey, uh, we're in the rocks now. Because what had happened is we'd started in the middle of the boat. We weren't anchored. We just kind of slowly drifted toward the rocks. Like, we were doing fine, but we were caught up in life. We were caught up in eating and drinking and laughing and talking, and next thing you knew, we were in the rocks. I think that's actually a little bit how a number of people's faith ends up. See, for everybody who shipwrecks their faith in a moment, I think there are 100 people who slowly drift into the rocks who slowly drift out of the steady, pleasant waters, who get caught up in just the eating and drinking and life. And next thing they know, this faith that was once vibrant is now in trouble. This faith that was once on on fire is now cooled. This faith and this heart for God has grown dim. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, really looking at this story of Solomon as a case study. It's a case study in how to lose your heart for God you have a heart for god I realize not everybody in the room does and some of us would say yeah, you know i've had a stronger heart for god and i've had a weaker heart for god at different points but this is a case study in how to lose your heart for god consider the deformation that's represented in these two contrasting verses in first kings chapter 3 verse 3 it says solomon loved the lord solomon loved the lord Now in 1 Kings 11, verse 1, it says Solomon loved many foreign women. It's the same Hebrew word for love. It's an affectionate word. It's a commitment kind of word. He loved the Lord. And by the way, when we were in chapter 3, we said that's the only place in the whole Old Testament where someone is described as loving the Lord. There's a lot of places where we're commanded to love the Lord or places where in the Psalms someone will say, I love the Lord. It's the only place third person, this person, loved the Lord. And now this love for the Lord that Solomon had... Has been replaced by love for many foreign women. Now the problem with this is not about anybody's uh, ethnicity. This isn't an ethnicity problem. This isn't a, a nationality problem. It's definitely not a race kind of a problem. That's not the concern about Solomon loving foreign women. Uh, the problem was the change of heart that was coming about as a result of these marriages that that Solomon had been warned about. So if you have your Bible, and actually I think we'll put it on the screen. Pay attention. Uh, t- to the to the word heart in verses two to four. It says, the Lord had said to the people of Israel, Here, this was back in Deuteronomy seven, this was God's warning, you shall not enter into marriage with them, with the other nations. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these women in love. He had 700 wives. Lord have mercy. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to love one of them well. I can't imagine. 700 wives were princesses, 300 concubines, and here it is again. His wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Solomon loved the Lord, and over time his heart For the Lord was turned away. How did it happen? Well, verse four indicates that it happened slowly. Did you notice that? It says, when Solomon was old. This didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a flash. It didn't happen with one decision. It happened the way a lot of us lose our heart for God with a slow drift toward the rocks. That's how he lost his heart for God. Again, it wasn't about the ethnicity, it wasn't about the nationality, it wasn't about the race, intermarriage between people of different ethnicities and nationalities, no problem. The problem in this case is that they, these women that Solomon was married to had different faith commitments. He was building different temples and high places for them and even joining in in the worship of these other false gods, it tells us in verses 6, 7, and 8. And so we're nearing the end of this series, and this is really the decisive uh kind of conclusion to Solomon's story. Uh, next week what we're going to find is that Solomon dies and the kingdom is torn uh, from his family, which is what's predicted in verses 11 through 13 as a result of this. God says uh, this in verse 11, "Since this has been your practice, you've not kept my commandments and my statutes as I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son" And uh, that's, in fact, what happens next week. And that's what we're going to conclude with, is after all of this hoping that somehow a king would be what we need, we realize, you know what, we can have all the kings we want, and it just seems like we still need someone else. That's what we'll look at next week. But tonight, I want to reflect on how to lose your heart for God. Uh, I realize that's kind of a negative way to say it, but sometimes we need the negative example, don't we? How to lose your heart for God. And so I want to ask, what are the ingredients of a drifting heart? Of a cooling off heart? Of a stagnating heart? What are the ingredients of that that we got to watch out for? That we got to be ready for? Because here's the thing. I wish that I had a YC's Mongolian heart. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had Mongolian grill, uh, you know, like Mongoli, you know, Mongolian barbecue, like YC's. Actually, some people who uh, heard this sermon this morning uh, texted me a picture of them at YC's for lunch, because I guess I really inspired them. So if you decide, you know what, man, so. So if you've never been to YC's, I mean, basically what it is, is it's this long bar where you you basically fill up your bowl with whatever food you want. And there's all this really sliced, thin, frozen meat, and you uh, pile it into the bowl. And the idea is to get as much in the bowl as you can, because that's then what they're going to cook for you. And so you have, you know, this meat and you're shoving down like another bowl, like to try to get as much of it in there, you know, and then you get the vegetables and then you get the sprouts and the broccoli and whatever it is you like there. And then you get the noodles and you put all that in and And you have different kinds of noodles to pick from. And then there's like all these different sauces. And YC's has come up with all these explanations of you can have this or this or this. Or you can just go crazy and make your own. Whatever it is. But you pour it in there. And it's this heaping pile of, you know, it's a good thing you have a tray. Because like none of it is actually fitting in this bowl. And they go and they put it on this like 800 degree circular flat top. Where they cook it with pool cues for like, for basically like 45 seconds. And then it is the temperature of the sun for an hour. I mean, it is just unbelievable. Like they do not, it's not on there for long at all. And you got to wait 25 minutes before you even take a bite. It is so hot. And that's what I wish my faith was like. I wish it was like, oh, I read the Bible today. I'm good for two months. Oh, you know what? I came to church. They sang some songs I really like. Boy, I was moved by the preaching. I'm good for six months. But my heart's not like that. Your heart's not like that. Our hearts cool off real quick. Our hearts get cold. Our hearts get stagnant. And and so I want to explore from Solomon's example, what makes it worse? What's actually going to lead us to the place we don't want to go? So that's what we're going to look at. So will you pray with me? Father, we invite you now to teach us through this uh, disappointing and sad example of what uh, we are susceptible to as well. Lord, if this can happen to Solomon, this can happen to me. This can happen to us. So God, would you teach us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you will slowly lose your heart for God first if you minimize God's word if you minimize God's word. This isn't inherently obvious from this text, but when you read the rest of scripture, you actually realize that this text is designed to show you how Solomon is minimizing God's word. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the people were told, hey, the day will come when you're going to want a king, and when you ask for a king, that'll be fine, but you're going to hear some things that this king is going to have to follow. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. It says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you to whom the Lord your God will choose. This is interesting, by the way, before all this, uh, we want a king thing comes up, God says, hey, the day's going to come. You're going to go into the land. You're going to ask for a king. Cool. No problem. Here's what the expectation is. One from among your brothers, you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And then there's these three restrictions, three things to not acquire. First one is in verse 16. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way. Again, horses are this symbol of power, this symbol of military might. He's saying, you're not going to trust in horses and chariots. You're going to trust in the name of the Lord. So you can have a king, but listen, king, you can't acquire many horses. Second thing you can't acquire, verse 17, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Why? Lest his heart turn away. Third restriction, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. So watch out for excessive horses, wives, gold. Watch out for excessive power, sex, money. (laughs) And we think we're so much further along. There's nothing new under the sun. What, What gets in the way of kings in ancient days? Power, sex, and money. What gets in the way of rulers and presidents and prime ministers and CEOs and pastors and principals and power, sex, and money? It's the same thing. So when you get to this passage, then what you're supposed to go is, ooh, ooh, ooh. Look at chapter 10, verse 26. Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. (laughs) All right, class, what do horsemen all need to do their job? Horses. And where are we getting these horses? Verse 28, and Solomon's import of horses was from? Egypt. It specifically said, don't import horses from Egypt. The author here says that's exactly what he did. So strike one. Strike two is the wives. We've already talked about that. 700 wives, 300 concubines uh, drawing his heart after other gods. And then the third strike is gold. Look at chapter 10, verse 21. It says, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. So his sippy cups are made of gold. In his kingdom. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Same idea in verse 27. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. Sex, money, power strike one, strike two, strike three. Now, it's not like God wasn't clear, right? I mean, this is pretty clear, right? But your heart is gonna start drifting from God. You're gonna start losing your heart for God if you start minimizing God's word. If you take God's commands and go, well, I think they're suggestions. If you take God's expectations and say, no, no, I think they're advice. No, these are commands. And when God says don't, what he means is don't hurt yourself. When he says, do this, what he means is, here's the path of life. Here's the path of blessing. Walk down it. And Solomon clearly goes, okay, here's the commandment. Not interested. Which makes me wonder, where are we doing that? The Lord says, if, if your brother sins against you, you anything against him, you go to him directly and talk to him about it. But we don't do that. We go gossip about it. The Lord says, hey, be generous. Give of your first fruits. Trust the Lord with all your money and we hoard it. The Lord says, if, if lust is a problem and it's causing you to sin, gouge your eye out. Take it so seriously, you'll fight anything to do it. And we go, well, you know, I'm struggling. Over and over and over, we know what God's word says. And when we minimize it, we go, eh. Not for me. That leads our heart to turn away. Now, there's another way that uh, perhaps Solomon minimized God's word. We're not sure about this. But if you read the rest of Deuteronomy 17, here's what it says. It says, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book. He write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. That's so interesting. So all these politicians talking about what they're going to get done on day one. Day one, we're going to do everything, Right? Here's what day one is if you're king of Israel. Get out a notebook and start hand-copying Genesis. And when you're done with that, Exodus. When you're done with that, Leviticus. When you're done with that, Numbers. When you're done with that, Deuteronomy. By the way, here's this priest. He's checking your work. And then once you're done with it, put it in your backpack, carry it around with you, and read it every day. It shall be with him, verse 19 and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up among his, above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment. Isn't it interesting? The first set of commands about power, sex, and money was so that your heart wouldn't turn away. This is now so your heart wouldn't be lifted up. You need God's word to humble you, to keep you small, to keep you committed to his way so that you don't think it's all about you, and now you're better than everybody. You start to believe your own press. You start to believe you're something you're not. One of my favorite athletes growing up was this uh, Illinois farm kid named Jim Tomey. And uh, he wasn't a great baseball prospect, and he wasn't drafted particularly high, but he was like farm boy strong. And boy, when he swang, he meant it. I mean, it was violent. And uh, hundreds of home runs later, he's now in the Hall of Fame. I remember years ago seeing his license plate. He was number 25. His license plate was DBTH25. DBTH. Don't believe the hype. You got to stay small. You need God's word to do that you minimize God's word, if God's word is small, your heart will turn away, your heart will lift up and you'll be on a path or drifting from the Lord. All right, here's the second reality we see here is your heart will slowly drift from the Lord when you begin to elevate human wisdom. These all go together, right? You're minimizing God's word and you're elevating human wisdom. Now, This makes sense from Solomon because Solomon was given great wisdom. That's what we saw back in 1 Kings chapter 4. He was given this incredible wisdom. The Lord came to him and said, hey, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? And instead of asking for fame, instead of asking for money, he said, I want wisdom. Give me discernment. Give me understanding. The Lord says, great. That's awesome. Because you asked for that, I'm going to give you the other stuff too. And he gives him this incredible wisdom. And up to this point, it seems like, man, Solomon is is so wise. And here's what you got to see is marrying all these foreign wives— it makes wisdom sense if all you think about is foreign policy, right? Because get this, he's not just marrying these women because they're beautiful or because he's attracted to them or because he's romantically involved. He's marrying all these women from all these different kingdoms and he's doing it to secure his foreign policy, to secure his geopolitical situation, right? Because if, if your daughter is married to me, you're less likely to attack me. If your daughter's married to me, we're going to have a better trade relationship, and so that makes total political sense. That makes total geopolitical sense. It is absolutely common sense. But it's contrary to what God said. Elevating human wisdom over God's word. And it just makes me wonder: where are we doing that? Where do we, we have God's word, and we go, "No, I'm going, to, I'm going to have human wisdom over that." Right. This is. Uh, I thought of just some examples. If it makes me happy, God wouldn't be against it. Well, that's not true. The Bible's much more concerned with our holiness, with our love for him, with our affection for him, with our love for one another. We're not called to maximize our individual happiness and pleasure. What about this? It would hurt my child's self-esteem to discipline him. That might be true, and it might be good for him. Some of these kids need to be taken down a notch. Okay, they could use a little less self-esteem. They would be less of a jerk to you, mom, if you if you knock their self-esteem down a peg. But either way, the Bible tells you discipline your kid. Now, there's some freedom, there's some wisdom about how to do that. But if you go, I'm gonna just let my kid do what he wants, and I'm gonna, you know, total free range, whatever. Like, that's maybe makes sense human wisdom-wise. Well, that's contrary to God's word what about this if two consenting adults love each other that's all that matters well, no that's not all that matters because the Bible says that marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman in a in a committed covenant relationship that's where sex is supposed to take place what about this now that I'm retired it's time to live for myself you know yeah I remember that I remember when Jesus said you know if anyone would come after me let him Pick up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me until retirement. And then live for yourself. And here's what I know. Some of you, you live in these places called 55 and up communities. And there's a a way that people, some people, not all people, but some people in those communities that just is like, I live for me now. I've served. I've helped. I've given. I've raised my kids. I've done my thing. It's me time. And that might seem really wise if all you have is human wisdom, but the Lord says, no, 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 you don't live for yourself. You're called to follow him all the time. How about this? If somebody hurts me, I deserve to get even. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, like you could run whole political campaigns on that. If he hits you, hit him back harder. Only problem is we have Jesus saying, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Go the second mile. How about this? Nothing is more important than your family. Now, is family important? Of course. Would our society be a lot better if lots of people cared more about the family? Sure. But nothing is more important than your family? Sure there is. Jesus says, people are going to hate you. People are going to turn on you. Your family members are going to even disagree with each other on account of me, Jesus says. Or how about this? Well, if I were really honest, it would cause too much pain. Well, that might be good wisdom. But it's keeping you from confessing your sins to one another. You might be healed. Maybe it's keeping you from coming out into the light. And all these little compromises and all these little, well, I know God says this, but this seems smarter. Well, I know God says that, but this makes more sense to me. It's the path the slow drift. All right, here's the third way to begin to lose your heart for God. And this is related to the last, is to forge unholy alliances. To forge unholy alliances. Now, I know this is in some way kind of repetitive, but it's worth actually reflecting on that what got Solomon in trouble wasn't just spontaneous acts of sexual uh, pleasure. He wasn't just hooking up a bunch and it led his heart away. But there was actually some structural dynamics, some ways that he structured his life that made falling away more likely, right? This isn't just he's hooking up, this is he's forming alliances. He's beginning to be in covenant. He's beginning to be in close proximity, in committed relationships with people that are almost certainly going to lead him away. And it makes us ask, well, what would that look like for us? Well, for one thing, some of you you're you're single, you're dating, you're looking for somebody, you'd like to be married, and I and I know I talk to you, and it's like there's nobody out there. You can't find them, and part of you just goes like, can I just get someone nice that'll treat me decently, maybe buy dinner, uh, and and yet you know the Lord's standard, here's what the Lord wants for you. The Lord wants that you would be married, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you'd be married to another follower of Jesus. The Lord, if you're a Christian, uh, the scripture would say you should not marry someone who's not a Christian. And that's not to be punitive or mean. It's just like, think about this for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're saying the most important person in my life is Jesus Christ. The person who has my heart, the person who has my affection, the person who calls the shots, the person who determines the direction, the person who I'm listening to all the time, Jesus Christ. And then if you were to get married to someone who's like, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And they're like, meh, I don't know. I'll go to church with you. You're not on the same page, and you're, you're in an unholy alliance at that point, point. and so why would you even begin to date them? Why would you continue in a dating relationship with somebody that's in a different place? The reality is it's so much easier for them to pull you off the cliff than for you to pull them up. Now, here's what I know. Some of you are already in that situation, and I'm not... I'm not condemning you. I'm not critiquing you. If you're already there, the Bible talks about that too. In 1 Corinthians 7, it says if you're in that situation, you're married to someone who's not a Christian and you're a Christian, stay there. Live as you were called. Live faithfully. Obey. Walk with the Lord. See if perhaps they might be one through your behavior and through your character. You don't know you're called to stay there. So I'm not trying to critique you if you're in that situation, but here's what I know. If you're if you're dating, if you're single, don't form an unholy alliance. You'll regret it. It'll drift your heart from the Lord more often than not. We gotta be careful about business and work partnerships, right? If you're gonna be in the marketplace, you can't work around only Christians. You're gonna have to engage with people who don't share your faith, of course. That's just how it goes. That's great. But you gotta be careful. You're gonna go into business, with somebody? Are you going to develop a kind of real estate partnership? You're going to buy property together? You're going to do some different things like that where now you're starting to be kind of allied together with legal responsibilities and liability issues and financial issues and like, be careful. What about this? Some of you, you have friends who regularly and consistently encourage you to sin, encourage you to compromise, encourage you with the voice that says, well, you know, if it makes you happy, that's what's most important. They're the voice of all those lies about God's wisdom over God's direct or human wisdom over God's direction. They're the ones. And here's what I want to tell you. It's great that you're trying to be a witness, but if what you're finding actually is that they're actually being more of a witness to you, then you got to create some boundaries and cut off some friendships. You go, well, that sounds mean. Okay, drift into the rocks then. But I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. How about this? When it comes to unholy alliances, who are you letting disciple you? Who are you letting form your thoughts? Who are you listening to every day to shape how you think about the world? When it comes to social media, when it comes to podcasts, when it comes to YouTube, when it comes to radio, when it comes to TV, who are you letting shape you? Who are you letting disciple you? There might be people, they share your politics and they maybe share some of your ethics and they share some of your appreciation of Western culture or whatever it might be that you're into. But listen, they don't necessarily share your faith. And if you're discipled and formed by them and listening to them day after day, week after week after week, more than you are the Lord, you're going to become like them. Jesus said a disciple when he's fully formed will be like his teacher. Do you most in the world want to be like Ben Shapiro? Do you most in the world want to be like Jordan Peterson? Do you most in the world want to be like Joe Rogan? Do you most in the world want to be like Tucker Carlson? Do you most in the world want to be like Dan Patrick? Fill in the blank. We make these alliances. And listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to those people. I am saying... I don't think you most in the world want to be like those people because they don't know the Lord. What about this? Would we ever forge unholy alliances, say, with political parties? Well, Nah, we wouldn't do that. We don't need to talk about that. And yet here we are. Emotionally... Tossed to and fro by a donkey or by an elephant. When the person who's supposed to have our heart is the lamb. So listen, friends, I, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. I, I want to have a heart for the Lord that stays strong. That doesn't quit. That doesn't give up. That doesn't yield to temptation. The flesh in me is strong. The world out there is strong. The devil out there is strong. And he wants to let you just slowly shipwreck your faith. And I'm here today, and God's here today, and this negative example from Solomon is here today to say, so don't do that. Have the warning. Take it seriously. And so here is the alternative. Here's the alternative, is guard your heart. The alternative to letting your heart slowly drift away is to guard it, to protect it, to shield it, to take important intentional action to guard your heart. Look at what it says in Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, it literally means above all your other guarding, above all your other protecting, more than all the things you protect, more than all the things you guard, guard your heart. You watch over your bank account, don't you? More than that, guard your heart. You watch over and protect your kids, don't you? you do anything for them. More than that, guard your heart. You watch over and you protect your passwords and your privacy and your phone. More than that, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, here's the thing that I, I just, uh, I don't have an answer to this, but I've been, I've been really wondering. You, you know who wrote Proverbs 4.23? Solomon, and I, and I wish, I, like going through this series with David and, and Solomon, it's made me really wish that as you're reading the Psalms by David, you could go, when did he write this one? When in the story? Right here, right? Is this Solomon writing this early in his life, and he knows it's true because he's the wisest person to ever live, and he just ignored his own advice? Or is this him at the end of his life going, holy smokes, a thousand wives later for the love, guard your heart. I don't know. I mean, someday we'll ask him. But this is what we have to do. We've got to guard our heart. Everything you do flows out of this. So I want to give you two ways to guard your heart. The first one is you've got to watch out for the dashboard warning lights of your heart, the things that are telling you you're in danger, you're in trouble. For me, it's stuff like this. I start to get really irritable, right I've got four kids, uh, two of them are so loud, and they're so much louder than the others, and they're just always loud. And most of the time, I'm like, "Great, I wanted a lot of kids. I wanted loud. I'm an only child. It got a little quiet around our place. I'd like a little more noise." But I can tell my heart's in an irritable place and it's in a bad place when I start to get short and angry and frustrated. Like, I just wanna get away from all these people I love more in in the world than anyone else. I can't stand them, right? For me, it also is sarcasm becomes, for me, an indication that my heart's drifting. I know some of you think sarcasm is a spiritual gift. Uh, It's actually not listed. It's not listed. And sometimes it's actually a great blessing, especially with humor. It can be a good thing. But for me, oftentimes, not always, oftentimes when I'm finding myself over and over getting kind of irritable and grumpy and sarcastic and mean. Recently, a warning light I've been noticing is uh, what Henry Cloud would call like the 3P uh, doom loop. Like you have times when you get discouraged, right? You have times when like things don't go well, times when you're frustrated, times when you're kind of down. And most of the time when things are pretty good and you have good emotional shock absorbers, you just boom, you just keep going. It's no big deal. It doesn't, doesn't sideline you. But I've had some times recently where I've got stuck in this kind of doom loop of the three Ps. Henry Cloud says it's the, the first one is personal. You start taking everything personally. It's all about you and it's all about how you're not good and it's all about you're the worst and it's all about it's all your fault and, and everybody's mad at you and everything's wrong with you, right? You take it personally. The second P is you start to think of it as pervasive. So it's not just me, it's work and it's church and it's my small group and it's my kids' sports team and it's everybody and I hate this neighborhood and Arizona's the worst and I wanna move and I hate, every, you know, just, it's pervasive. And then the third P is it's permanent. This is never going to get better. This will never improve. This is always going to be how it is. You ever been stuck in that doom loop? Hey, that's a warning light. That's the check engine light in your car coming on, going, hey, service overdue. So pay attention to that. That's how you guard your heart. You watch for dashboard warning lights. But the second thing is you got to cultivate habits that strengthen your heart that strengthen the thing that you want to grow in, right? They say when it comes to working out and weightlifting and things like that, that target training, people don't really necessarily go, well, target training, does it work, is it not? You know, can you eliminate fat in certain places of your body or not? Probably not. But when it comes to your spirituality, you can do some real intentional target training to grow certain areas of your life. So think about this. You could cultivate the habit of confessing sin, to someone else in your life in order to strengthen your humility. You could cultivate the habit of Bible reading in prayer in order to strengthen your heart of dependence on God. You could cultivate the habit of coming to church week after week after week to strengthen a heart of awe toward God. Because I don't know if you know this, but this is the only place you're gonna be all week where everyone's gonna go, hey, look at God, he's amazing. And so you gotta get here. And, and cultivate that, not because we need like your butt in the seat, but because you need awe of God to keep going. All right, what about this? Cultivate the habit of singing to strengthen your joy. Cultivate the habit of being part of a small group, being part of an RC or a men's fight club or a women's table to strengthen love and a heart of compassion for other people. Maybe you cultivate a habit of writing thank you notes and writing notes of encouragement to to strengthen a heart of gratitude. Maybe you cultivate the habit of serving to strengthen compassion. Maybe you cultivate a habit of silence to strengthen a heart with peace. Maybe you cultivate the habit of giving to strengthen your trust in God. Maybe you cultivate the habit of fasting to strengthen your awareness that he is all you need. But friends, that's why we do the spiritual practices. That's why we do the spiritual disciplines. That's why we do that stuff. It's not so we can check boxes and feel good. It's because we have hearts that are gonna drift. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna drift. The Lord met me and he pursued me. And even when I thought I was so good I didn't need him, he busted all that apart, and he helped me see that he's holy, and I'm sinful, and my only answer, my only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sinless death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his promised return, and he sent me the Holy Spirit, and he fills me with joy, and he fills me with hope, and he fills me with endurance, and he convicts me of my sin, and he sharpens me, and he develops me, and he cares for me. I don't want to walk away from that. And I don't want you to walk away from that. I don't want us to drift. He's too good to just drift away. I want you to love the Lord. I want you to guard your heart. Let's pray. So, Father, uh, thank you for this painful example of Solomon and Lord, we're corrected by it for sure, and we ask you to help us to hear this. Lord, even in the situations where people seem to have a big, sudden fall, I I know it's always the result, really, of a thousand little compromises. And so, Lord, help us to hear your voice, to not elevate human wisdom above your word, to not forge alliances with people who, aren't committed to you and are going to lead us ultimately astray. And Lord, help us to guard our hearts. You've you've said that from our hearts everything everything's coming out of there. So Lord, would you help us uh, to walk faithfully with you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.